Romans 3, we covered another large group of verses. We've been moving fairly quickly of late, but these verses go together. They, they need to be covered together well. And just looking through this list that he gives here, from verse 10 to verse 18, we almost got all the way through that, of the condition of man in his natural state. As man or woman is born out of the womb, this is the state that they're born out of. And if you remember, the Lord Jesus, He simplified the commandments down to two. Namely these. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And on those hinge all the law and the prophets. Now, if, if you really broke those down, we love ourselves more than we love God in our natural state. We desire to please ourselves more than please God. And when it comes to our neighbor, just as we've seen in these verses, man in his natural state is willing to cut the throat of another man if it'll better himself. Willing to bring somebody else down if it'll make me feel better look better, do better, appear better. That is man in his natural state. And how far from the standard of righteousness that God gave that man truly is. So we come down through here. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Verse 15. Destruction and misery are in their ways. So destruction and misery, the complete ruin, utter fracture... It's to be broken to pieces in a manner that cannot be put back together. It is a complete ruin and that's what's in the way of man in his natural state. I come out of the womb a sinner. As I grew, I became really a greater sinner. But the nature was there when I was born to be a sinner, to go away from God. And destruction and ruin was in my pathway. The judgment of God laid at the end of the road. And had it not been for the interference of God, that would have been the end of me. My end would have been utter destruction in a lake of fire, separated from God and His goodness. But the Lord interfered in my life, brought me to salvation. Verse 17, we haven't covered here. There is no fear... Oh wait, 17... And the way of peace have they not known. Now you hear this sometimes. I don't understand why they won't. Well, right here is why. Man does not know the way to have true peace. Now, the world has many opinions on what can bring you peace. And I would say, namely, the first thing is, do what you think is right. If it feels like you ought to, and if you think it makes you happy, and if you believe this is what you need, then you ought to just do that and try that and see if that brings peace. But now, the Word of God gives us a prescription to have true peace and joy in this life. And it wasn't something that was written when Jesus was here or by Paul. It was written by Solomon 700 years before Christ. Solomon said, this is the conclusion of the whole matter. Now, you know, they might look at me 
And you know, you say, well, money don't buy happiness. They look at somebody like me and say, well, you don't know that. You've never experienced that. Well, Solomon was a man that experienced wealth. The Bible says, and I always, I always find this amazing, that they made the dishes in Solomon's house out of gold, not silver, because silver was as the dust of the earth in Solomon's day. Silver was worthless. So they made their cups and their plates and their spoons and their dishes out of pure gold. Solomon was a man that had it all. From top to bottom, a rich and wealthy man. And Solomon says, to fear God and keep His commandments, this is the whole of man. That's the way man finds peace and completeness. But you know, that's so far. Man looks at this way that we live, that the Word of God prescribes, and man says, that's going to take all of my joy away from me. All of my peace is going to be robbed from me to try to live like that. But see, it's not about the joy of the flesh. The flesh is that that's like the fire. It's never satisfied. The fire never says, I've burned enough until there's nothing left to burn. But you know, you keep adding sticks of wood to it. Dad's got a fire. How long's it been burning this year? It's been burning five months in his firebox. And as long as he adds wood, it'll never be satisfied. He could add wood from now to the day he dies and that fire would burn. That's the way the flesh is. The flesh can be happy for a moment, but that's going to burn up and it's going to need something else to keep it happy. So, the only way to true joy is the joy of the Lord. And Jesus said, it's my joy that I give you. It's God placing joy in the inward man and realizing in the outward there is no way to have peace. But that way is hidden to mankind today. And Paul says in Corinthians, if our gospel be hid, it's hid to them that are lost. So it's hidden. It's covered up. They can't see it. In whom the God of this world, Satan, hath blinded the minds of them that believe not. Their minds are blinded. They cannot see the joy and the peace that's in the way of the Lord Jesus Christ. The only way we saw it is the Lord revealed that to us and allowed us to see it. Our world needs the Lord to show that to them as well. There's really no place to boast in the way of the Lord because had the Lord not showed us, we'd be just like them. The way of peace have they not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now you boil it all down and here's the problem. There is no fear. And that doesn't just mean to cower afraid and scared to death of what God's going to do. There's a day of judgment coming. But on the whole, God's not that kind of God. God is merciful, long-suffering, compassionate, 
and kind towards mankind. But this fear, it's more of a reverence, a respect of this man, a respect of God. Just like in the courtroom, the judge who's got the power at his pleasure to throw the gavel down and say you're going for seven days. Contempt of court. That man's to be respected when you're in his courtroom. Well, God, the God of all living and the God of all dead as well, He is to be respected, reverenced, feared by mankind. And yet there's no respect towards God whatsoever. There's more respect given to parents than there are to God. There's more respect given to organizations, to schools, to sports, to pleasure, to joy than is given to God. We think what the government says is above what God says. And the judgments of man, that they're above the judgments of God. If man would reverence God and His Word, His Spirit, to fear God, which Solomon said again in Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of coming to know the Lord Jesus Christ is to reverence and believe what the Lord says. But there's very little reverence for the Lord. This is man in his natural state. So now verse 19. Now we know that what things soever the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Now a lot of, a lot of theologists today would take the law and say that was a separate time and a separate dispensation and those people had a means to be saved and today we have a different means to be saved. And it's confusing. There's no sense in going into it. But that's the way they would describe the times of the law and other times as well, depending on who you talk to. But here the Word of God, the New Testament, the Bible itself, it tells me what the law was for. The law was for one reason, that all the world would become guilty and every mouth be stopped before the Lord. I believe we could see this in 1 Timothy. Paul says this, 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse number 8. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. So there is a lawful way to use the law and the law is good when it's used the way God intended the law to be used. But you know, here we go. Here's man in his natural state and he takes the very law of God and misuses it. So how does he do that? Well, Paul said that we're not of those that measure themselves by themselves, for that's not wise. Man takes that law of God, and we'll just say specifically the Ten Commandments, and he uses that as a measuring stick 
versus other people. He measures himself among others by the law of God. He uses those commandments to justify what a good person that he is. Takes the word of God and uses that to show all of the good that he's done and all of the bad that he's neglected to do. He takes the law and uses it in a manner that the law was not intended to be used for. The law was this, that every mouth may be stopped, fenced in, enclosed, or bricked up. Now you brick up a door, would you say that's shutting it permanently? God sent the law that man would be aware of his sin and his mouth of boasting and bragging and claiming that he was good, that that would be forever bricked up. And all the world become guilty, under sentence, condemned. The guilty verdict has already been read. That murderer, when he's found guilty, and they take him out of the courtroom, he is guilty and under sentence. He's in custody and he's in danger of a sentence that's to come. That's the way mankind is. The law was given that my mouth would be stopped. That I would fear and reverence what God was saying to me. That I would be drawn to Christ. In Galatians chapter 3, we have a great picture of this. Galatians 3. Verse number 21. Is the law then against the promises of God? So we could cover this whole chapter. We did a while back in Bible study. But here, he's talking about the law. He's talking about works. And he's talking about the promise that was gave to Abraham. So God gave a promise. A promise that through his seed, all the nations of the world would be blessed a promise of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then 430 years after that promise was given, and it's written right here, it's in Galatians 3. I didn't make that number up. 430 years afterward, God gave the law to Moses. So Paul's saying here, is the law and the sacrifices and the ceremonies, is that working against the promise that God gave to Abraham. Is that something separate that's at odds with the promise of Jesus that was to come? Is the law against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. There was no righteousness in Moses' day, to David's day, to Zerubbabel's day, to Zacharias and Elizabeth's day. There was no life nor righteousness provided by the law and the sacrifices. The law was given for this, that everybody realized that they are guilty. And when I take the law to justify me and to say, well, you've done more bad than I've done bad and I've done more good 
then you've done good. That is a misuse of the law. And using the law in that manner is not good. That produces destruction in individual lives. The law was given for this, that Joseph would take the law, that Joseph would look at the law, that Joseph would say, I have transgressed the law and I am guilty before God. Individual, me only, and you can do the same thing. Now that's pretty elementary, isn't it? We know we broke the law. We know we're guilty. Well, that's the end of it. There's no buts. But I've done better than most. But this one has broken it way more than me. See, that's, that's unlawful use of the law. That's self-justification by somebody else. The law was given for this, that you would realize you're guilty. The law's done its job. Don't misuse it. There was no life given by the law. And if there could have been, if God could have given a law of righteousness, then verily, righteousness would have been by the law. Do you think God knows how to do and what's going on and what's coming up and what needs to happen? God knew before the law that there was no righteousness that was going to come that way because God promised Jesus to Abraham 430 years after. God never intended for righteousness to come by the law. Back in verse 19, Galatians 3, 19, Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added... So you've got the promise, the promise made to Abraham, and you can take it all the way back to Eve. God made a promise to Adam and Eve in the garden that through the seed of the woman was going to come one that would bruise the head of the serpent. That was Jesus. That that promise was the idea, the focus, and the goal all through the Old Testament. But the law was added. Why was the law added? It was added because of transgressions till the seed should come. You know how man was in his natural state? Man was guilty. Man was a sinner. But man was not aware of how sinful and wicked that he was. Just as the Pharisees in Jesus' day, they justified themselves by their religion, by their righteousness, by their works in the flesh, and they did not realize how sinful they were. Well, the law was added because of transgressions until the seed should come. So now, in verse 22, But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin. Now that's what we've been looking at for two and a half chapters. That all of the world is guilty and under sin. The Scriptures concluded it that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up under the faith which should afterwards be revealed. The law was a schoolmaster. That's a governor. That's kind of what that word means. But 
In that day, they had a tutor, a teacher, and the rich folks, they would hire this to, to help their kids to learn and to grow. And they were placed under that teacher, under that tutor, until the time came that they were able to navigate this life on their own. Till they graduated, you might say. So the law was a schoolmaster in that way that I would stay under them, stay under the law, that I would learn of my guilt, I would learn of my shame, I would learn just how helpless I was until the day that the Lord would reveal Christ Jesus unto me that I could be saved. So who's under the law? Everybody that is outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. Those that are in Christ, they're not going to be measured by their works and by the law. They're in Christ Jesus. They have His righteousness imputed. But to everyone that is outside of Jesus, they're going to stand before God accountable to the law, to every word that they've spoken, to every deed that they've done. So whatsoever things the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law that every mouth may be stopped and all the world become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. There's what the law brought. The law was sent to highlight to man what sin really was. Now think about it. We're in a day, the law has been on the earth 3,500 years, thereabouts. And man today still doesn't know what sin really is on his own. Even with the presence of the law, Look at what's justified as being right in our world today. Would man know what adultery was? Would he know that he shouldn't lie if God had not told us in the Word? But God provided a law that the knowledge of sin might come to all of mankind. And you know, maybe, maybe there's a multitude today that despise the law because of the knowledge of sin that it brings. But remember, that's the schoolmaster that would lead me to the Lord Jesus. If there was no law, and if I was never guilty, I would never need a Savior, I would never need forgiveness, I'd never need redemption. But if you're saved, were you not brought down under the weight of your sin, guilty before God, before you ever come to Jesus? If it was different, raise your hand. So everybody that says they're saved they were brought down guilty. You know what that was? That was the schoolmaster. 
That stopped your mouth as to what you had done. It stopped your mouth as to what you were so that you would look to the Lord Jesus and put all of your trust in Him. If it wasn't for that, if my mouth hadn't been stopped, I'd have never put all of my trust in Jesus. There would have been some reserve for what I've done. That I've come to the altar. That I've come to church. The law stopped all that. The law revealed to me and made made me to know that I was a sinner. So justified to render, show, or regard as just or innocent. We see that word often. We're going to see it much more through this book. How can somebody, how could somebody stand up here and say, by the law, by the law I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to be rendered or shown to be innocent. Can anyone here say that when they stand before God, by the law, they're going to be innocent? You know, how do you know that? God revealed it through the law. Have you ever known of anybody that's going to stand before God? And think now, from the best that you've ever known to the worst, do you know anybody that you could with any confidence say, I believe they're going to be innocent when they stand before God? Nobody. You know how you know that? By the law. I've known some good people. I've known some fine, fine people. But I know they're sinners. And I know that because of the law. What valuable knowledge that the Lord gave us through the addition of the law that I would know I'm in need of redemption, that I would look to the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation. In Psalm 143, verse number 2, And enter not into judgment with thy servant, for in thy sight shall no man living be justified. Now here's David. David in his day has got enough sense to realize that if he's going to stand before God by what he's done, yeah, but David was a wicked sinner. David was this. He was a lawbreaker, wouldn't you say? He broke the law of God. Is that not what you are too? We're lawbreakers, just like David. And David had enough sense to say, don't enter into judgment with me because I don't have righteousness to be able to stand before you and be justified. To be declared as innocent or just. Now think about how far that man is from standing by the law and being innocent of the charges. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, one by one the preacher counteth the account. But here's the problem. You can't count. 
how many times you've broken this law. Just how guilty are you? You can't count it. The wise man, the preacher in Ecclesiastes, he couldn't count it. And neither can you. So how then? How can anybody be just before God? It's not by the law. There's, there's going to have to be some help, isn't there? So next verse, verse 21, we start the next section, salvation. So in chapter 1, the last half, after we get past that introduction, up to this verse, we've been in sin. The purpose of the writer writing this by the inspiration of the Spirit is to prove one thing, that there's no way possible for man on his own to be righteous and justified with God. Man is wicked. Man is in sin. Man in his natural state is altogether filthy, corrupt, and guilty before God. There is no hope for any man or woman on his own and by their own works. Whether you're a Jew, a religious, and a moral, and a Bible-carrying, and a, a ritual-praying person, or you're a Gentile that's worshiping an idol and offering, uh, uh, offering stuff to false gods, there's no hope for any of them on their own by the law. All of the world is guilty. They're all lumped together in one lump. Now the Jew, the Jew thought so highly of themselves that that thought would have made them sick. And i tell you what it did. It made them mad enough to want to kill Jesus, to want to kill Paul, to want to kill the apostles, that the word of this gospel would go out to them and to the Gentiles. What blasphemy, they said, that a Gentile would be lumped together with us. And remember, the disciples said of the Samaritan woman, what's he doing with her? And she said to Jesus, you don't, you don't have any dealings with us. See, they were separated. In their mind, they were better Church people are the same way. The most prideful and high-nosed people on the earth are people that are religious and go to church. And they're better and they're holier than now and they're right in their own eyes. But by the Word of God, they're as guilty as anybody else on the earth. There is no way that they can be justified by their actions. And so... Man is left through two and a half chapters. Where are we? Man is hopeless and helpless on his own. Thank God that that's not the end of the story. You know, if God was not compassionate, merciful, long-suffering, and kind towards man, that could be the end of the story. Son, you're guilty, and you can't do anything about it. But, verse 21, but, we're going to turn. But now, the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law 
and the prophets. So, the righteousness of God. Now, something has changed. But now. So, at this present time, there's something different than what had been all through the past. The righteousness of God without the law is manifested. Now, what was this righteousness? It was the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But now, you've got to be careful here. Remember, Paul's writing. He's got Judaizers and Jews that are against him. And they say, you're making up something that's totally new. God never said any of that. Well, he's careful to note that the righteousness without the law was witnessed by the law and the prophets. So let's look in Genesis chapter 3. Let's just look at a few places. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. There's the promise. The promise made in Genesis 3 in the Garden of Eden before any children were born. It was Adam and Eve and the serpent and God promised at that time that one was coming through the seed of a woman. Genesis chapter 15 verse number 6. And he believed in the Lord and he counted it to him for righteousness. Abraham here Abraham believed what God said and God imputed, same word in the New Testament, God put it on his account, credited it to him. Not that he earned it. If he would have earned it, it would have been wages. But this is righteousness outside of the deeds of the law. In Isaiah chapter 42, and there's there's a pile of other places that you could look and you could read, but Isaiah 42 Verse, I'm sorry, 45. Isaiah 45, verse 24. Surely, shall one say, in the Lord have I righteousness and strength. Even to him shall men come, and all that are incensed against him shall be ashamed. In the Lord shall all the seed of Israel be justified and shall glory. Now, He's looking forward to Jesus coming. And you know how all of Israel's going to be justified? In Jesus. Not by the law. See, this, is, this was all foresaw in Isaiah 54. Verse number 17. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. No righteousness of their own, but righteousness that's provided. In Jeremiah chapter 23, verse number 5. And I know this is a lot of turning. I apologize for that. Jeremiah 23, verse number 5. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will raise unto David a righteous branch, and a king shall reign and prosper, and shall execute judgment and justice in the earth. In his days Judah shall be saved, and Israel shall dwell safely. This is his name 
whereby he shall be called the Lord, our righteousness. Not my righteousness, but this Lord that he's prophesying of, he's going to be our righteousness. In Daniel chapter 9, Daniel 9, verse 24. And this may be debated today, but I think if you read it, I think you can see what Daniel is seeing. Seventy weeks are determined upon thy people and upon the holy city to finish the transgression, to make an end of sins, to make reconciliation for iniquity to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and prophecy to anoint the most holy. All of this was going to be accomplished. All of this was accomplished. Sin was end. Atonement was made. And everlasting righteousness was provided for everyone that was found in Jesus Christ. One more place in Galatians. Chapter 3, verse number 8. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham, saying, In thee shall all nations be blessed. Now I have heard people take that scripture and talk about how the earth is blessed or how the United States is blessed because of Abraham's seed and Israel that's over in the Middle East. But that is a total misuse of the prophecy. The Word of God tells me here that the promise that through Abraham's seed all the world would be blessed That was intended for Christ and His eternal work of righteousness and salvation that was to come. So all of this, this was promised all through the Old Testament. This wasn't a doctrine that Paul and the apostles made up. And as Peter said in defense of the gospel, you've not followed cunningly devised fables. This isn't something that me and these brethren have made up and worked out ourselves. This was written afore all the way back to Moses. It amazes me. You say it, but really think about it, that we've got words that at some place in time, Moses, the man Moses, sit down and wrote with his own hand. Moses wrote about this. David wrote about this. Solomon wrote about this. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, the prophets. This was all written about before time that God was going to bring righteousness from the outside. If you're coming to my house and you want some food, if I don't have any food in my house, then coming in's not going to be any good for you. But you know, if you brought some in, 
if I come back from the grocery store and I brought some in from the outside, we could have food in there then. That's a simple picture. Maybe ignorant, really. But you think about a man and mankind with no righteousness, no way that he could be justified, but God is going to bring from the outside righteousness and provide for man. Not something that you had in the house the whole time. God's bringing in something new. Being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. So this righteousness is from God. <clears throat> so then, who is it that's righteous? Jesus said it correctly. There is none good but one, and that's God. God is the only righteous, holy, and just being that there is. And so that being the case, He's the only source for there to be righteousness for me and for you. There's no other place to go. There's not a man that can be turned to from the monks that don't speak for three quarters of their life to Gandhi to Mother Teresa to the Pope. There's no man nor woman that can be gone to in search for righteousness with God. Because when you boil it all down, they're all sinners. Man in his best state is altogether vanity. He's nothing. God brought righteousness. And how did He bring that? Jesus Christ. He brought this righteousness by faith, persuasion, credence, moral conviction of the truth, or a reliance upon. That's all the definitions of faith. So I believe that reliance upon, I believe that's a great way to look at it. It's God revealing to me what I am and what He's done in Christ and I put all of my reliance upon the work of Christ Jesus and all of my hope of ever being righteousness is not anything to do with me but it's all based on the work that the Lord Jesus has already accomplished and finished. So in 2 Corinthians 5, so how did this work? Man was wicked. He was guilty. He was a sinner. Well, in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The transaction was made. God was going to work a transaction. No different than you at Walmart. They've got stuff you want. You've got money they want. So you exchange them. They get your money and you get their stuff. Well, the Lord Jesus here, He says, I see man. I see that he's fallen. I see that he's guilty. 
I see that he's in danger of destruction. Let me take their sin from them and let me carry that to the cross and you put my righteousness on them. So the sin then that all of man had was nailed to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. He done away with sin. Remember what Daniel said. Sin was done away with in Christ Jesus. Not to ever be brought back up again. Not to ever be remembered again. But in the Lord, sin was paid for. So He made Him to be sin. In Philippians chapter 3. Now this is Paul. We could look at a lot of this chapter. But in verse 9, And be found in Him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. This righteousness today is not, well, I need to do better. It's not, well, I need to go to church more. It's not that I need to quit cussing or I just need to be a better person. That's not how a man gains righteousness. Even though I can do a little better. And let's say you do. You're still a lawbreaker. You've still broken the law. And I promise this, that the very best you can do to bring this man in and to live right, you're still going to break the law and you're going to break it every day. Though better, in your eyes, still guilty and a lawbreaker. Paul says, I do not want to have righteousness of the law. Paul said, I've counted all of that is done that I might have Christ. Because by the law, there is no righteousness. I am continually reminded that I'm guilty, that I'm a sinner, that I can't live up to it, that I can't keep it, that I'm unable to do it. Why would somebody want to be under the law? In Colossians chapter 2, one more place. Colossians chapter 2, verse 13. And you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, have he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a shoe of them openly, triumphing over them in it. So again, what Christ has accomplished, what Christ has done, here's man, dead in sins, guilty before God, and the law, see what the law is? It's contrary to us here. The handwriting of ordinances, the handwriting of laws was against me being right before God. It stood in between me and God. Not because there was anything wrong with the law, but because I had broken it. And I could not be right with God because I had broken the law. But the Lord provided His Son Jesus and His Son Jesus willingly. 
We say God killed His Son sometimes. And that's true. But it wasn't murder. God gave His Son and the Son was willing to give Himself for the redemption of mankind. Now man murdered Him. Man unjustly tried Him. Man unjustly found Him guilty. Man unjustly nailed Him to a cross. But that was all according to the plan of Almighty God. That was God's plan. That the handwriting of ordinances, my guilt, that that could be done away with by the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus, that you and I could be right with God because of and only because of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is nothing else to add to or take away. That is the means. Back in Romans 3, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. So this righteousness, it's of God. God provided. God's the only righteous. He's the only source of righteousness. God is producing and giving this righteousness to man. How's he doing that? By faith of Jesus. Well, you'll hear this sometimes. I'm thankful I believed him. Thankful I had faith. But listen to how it's worded. The righteousness of God. So that word of, it means it's that's its origin. The origin of this righteousness is God. That's where it comes from. Which is by faith of Jesus Christ. You know where the origin of the faith is? The work of Jesus Christ. We've got plenty of Bible to back that up. But just one place that I bet you could quote it. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. So what's not of yourselves? Faith. The faith is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. So this redemption, which is by faith, I can't even credit myself with faith. Remember how hopeless man was. This is an act of God from the outside producing righteousness for man. And not only that, but awakening him from the bondage of the deceitfulness of Satan, opening his eyes to the truth and giving him the opportunity to believe on what God's done. God produced, God made, God provided, God given salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. And all the glory redounds to the work of God, which is by faith of Jesus. And now faith, that's the only way God could have done this, that there not be any boasting. That faith, which is provided by God, it's not, well I have to do this, this, and this first, or after I come to God, I have to keep this list and do this much. Then there's a hinge left on me that I would break and drop 
and lose my righteousness because I cannot hold up on my end of the bargain. But it does not depend on me holding up my end of the bargain. This salvation is by faith of Jesus, that faith that God gave for you to believe and receive the gospel, which is unto all and upon all them that believe. It comes by believing the very words that God speaks to your soul. Who can believe? Well, a wayfaring fool can't err in this way. He don't have to be highly intelligent. He don't have to be a Socrates or a Plato that thinks and has a great mind to think. No, because all of this originates from God. God provided the sacrifice. God provided the forgiveness. God provided righteousness all in Jesus Christ. God provides the faith through the Word of God and the Holy Ghost. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. God provides the faith and the conviction of that by the Spirit and God draws man to Jesus. It, don't, it does not depend on anything that man is or ever was. This is God's Word from beginning to end. It's righteousness from the outside and it's unto all and upon all them that believe. So here again, we're tying back to the Jew and Gentile. Just the Jew and Gentile both are under sin. This sacrifice was shed that both of them could be saved. That whether you've been a moral religious person your whole life or a wicked sinner in the ditch your whole life, God's provided a means for you to be righteous in Jesus Christ our Lord. Through His work, through His work alone. And you know what it is? It's by faith. Not of works, lest any man should boast. The religious do not want to come because they have something to boast in. Is that not always the response? I don't need to go. I've done this, done that, I'm, I've done the other. I'm this, I'm that, I'm the other. They don't want to come because of their righteousness that's perceived in their mind. And the sinner don't want to come because he don't want to give up his sin. But you know who does come? That's exactly right. Those that come are those that are called. And I tell you, those are the only ones that will ever come to the gospel by faith and be redeemed. That's it. You want to know how rare. See, when you say it like this, I'm glad I believed and I don't know why nobody else does. When you say it like that, it makes you look just a little better than what you are in that you believe something that nobody else would believe. But when you say it the way it is, that God called me, convinced me, and saved me, you can look around and see just how rare what you have really is. That God came to you, called you, 
saved you out of the whole world. Man, don't like that. Man, don't think that's fair. Mm. Man, don't think that's fair. But I tell you what the Lord done. He came to a pool one day that had five porches, and in these lay a multitude. Now that's the words that the Bible says. The Lord went to one man. The Lord got that one man up. And by what I see in the book, He didn't speak to another soul. That's the grace and mercy of God. This salvation, He provided it. Can He do what He wants with it? You remember the parable of the pennies? And He went at the first hour of the day, the second, the third, the sixth, and all these people were coming to work in His field and they agreed for a penny a day. And then the eleventh hour He went out. Now they only had one hour to work. But He hired them for a penny also. Well, when it come time to pay, everybody got what they agreed for. And those that started early in the morning, they said, now, wait a minute. It ain't fair that I'm getting what this guy that started at 6 o'clock in the evening that he's getting. That's not fair. It's mine. You agreed on it. Can I not do what I want with what's mine? The Lord afforded it. He, he bore all the cost of it. And He gives it to whom He will. That's all you can say. He's sovereign, He's just, and He's righteous. But thank God for His mercy shed abroad on His church. That's all that's on our heart. Anybody, anything you'd like to say?